This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaw. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. Post week 10, pre week 11 podcast here. Season's over, halfway over, but still lots going on here. Lots of fun things to chat about today. And a special guest, uh, Tom Pelissero, who we've been trying to get on for a while. My fault that I haven't invited him earlier. A good friend, and you'll find him very entertaining and informative. But in the meantime here, let's bring on our producer here, uh, Greg Peterson. Come on, join the show, Greg. All right. The absolute opposite of Tom Pelissero is here. How's it going? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Well, the, your team got a win this week, so you got to be happier. Oh, absolutely. That was a great win over the Carolina Panthers. The uh, Packers were able to step up in the snow, no less. So always nice to see that. Early November, all that snow? That's a long winter. Oh, believe me, I'm used to it. Growing up in Wisconsin, there were days when I was going to college at D3 University. Nobody's ever heard of UW Oshkosh. I would be walking to school in January in negative 50 wind chills. (laughs) Uphill both ways, to and from school. Exactly. But now I live in Las Vegas. I can't say that anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, first segment here, let's talk about a couple of things. We'll talk about injury reporting. We'll talk about uh, concussion checking and uh, my Harvard guy, Ryan Fitz, maybe having a uh, legitimate complaint. But before we get there, let's talk about the end of the game. Uh, that Packers-Panthers uh, game, the end of the game was a little bit chaotic, huh? Did you, were you worried that uh, McCaffrey scored? Oh, I was very worried. I had to take a look at every single replay, and it's like, uh, the referee still might screw this up, too. Fortunately, broke the Packers' way on that one, so that made me extremely excited, to say the least. I was watching it at a sports book, and it seemed like a lot of people around me also had money on the Packers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess if you had money on the Packers, it, w- it wouldn't be any uh, consolation that uh, there was still a two-point play to come if they scored. Yeah, you were laying five points, so that wouldn't have been good. So here's what I've been advocating for a while. And if you take that Packers and Panthers game, uh, I forget there was another game that maybe had a controversial ending and or a potential pass interference play or not. And uh, also Michael Thomas at the end of that Saints-Falcons game lay on the turf for a while. Maybe he was just gassed. Maybe there wasn't an injury. But I always thought it was really silly in this billion, really trillion-dollar industry that you have all these reporters and players just rushing the field like someone had just won the Basketball National Championship or something like that. It always made sense to me that at the end of a half – or the end of a game before people leave the sidelines. Remember, it happened in that Super Bowl. Super Bowl, I don't remember. Was it the Patriots-Giants win? or It was the Patriots-Giants. It was in Phoenix, but I don't remember the number. And they had to call players back out onto the field, and the confetti even started to fly. 
To me, you should just wait for the referee to give a final signal. Why? If you wait for the referee to give a final signal, it gives them a fair chance to adjudicate this Christian McCaffrey play. Uh, medical staffs to check on a Michael Thomas uh, or see that Michael Thomas is laying down. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, fail Mary game against your, with your Packers and the Seahawks, there might not have been as much chaos there. Don't remind All me. sorts of reasons. I think it just makes sense to have an end of game signal come from the referee before people storm the, the court or storm the field and, and all that stuff to uh, avoid the chaos and, and so forth. And fortunately, the Green Bay game, and against the Panthers seem to have been judged correctly, but why put that extra pressure? Right? Why not enact something where you just say you got to chill on the sidelines until a special signal comes? And uh, look, I've been involved at times at halftime when everyone's running on the field and at end of games where there's actually an injury on the last play of the of the half or the game. And not only is it hard to find the guy, see the guy, tend to the guy. But if you need additional sideline help, that sideline emergency crew or the, or the ambulance crew or the red hat or whoever it is, they're off. I mean, they're, they're not, their attention has gone uh, other places. So that's a little bit of a sidelight. Then we'll talk a little bit about concussion checks um, and something else that I think should happen. Ryan Fitzpatrick, did you see the play? He kind of got hit helmet to helmet, helmet to face mask. And there was a holding call. There was no roughing the quarterback penalty. But to add insult to almost injury, multiple plays later, plays later, Ryan Fitzpatrick said five minutes later, may not have been five minutes, but in any case, minutes later, he's on the sideline, he's preparing for the next series, and then he goes back in, and then he's called off the field on some key downs in the next series for a concussion check from the spotter. and. Uh, couple other th- thoughts there. First of all, I think it was justified that he get checked. couple of things about this. First of all, it is a hard job being the spotter. And can you imagine, Greg, that it used to be done by one person? When it was done by one person, I said, uh, you better add some more. And now there's three athletic trainers up there, one for each team and one as a backup, and then two video replay guys. But even so, it can get complicated. Even if you're only worried about one team, your eyes have to be all over the field and all over different video replays and all over the place in terms of following 11 different players. And let's say the concussion got spotter, head injury spotter for the Dolphins, uh, his, when the pass went downfield, he moved down, his eyes moved downfield to look at the wide receiver in case the wide receiver was going to get injured. And so he doesn't see what you see on TV in the replay and so forth. So, yeah, it's a bad look. They got to get that straightened out where they're not pulling guys off the field late in the game like that or, or too late, like minutes later. But what if this postseason, be it Lamar Jackson or Tom Brady or Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes gets pulled off in the final drive of a game, even in a timely fashion, and it affects the outcome of the game because they're not out there for a key third or fourth down, and then they check out to be fine. I don't want that to affect the outcome of a game. So I would propose that one time a game, your head coach, if you, look, if you have timeouts, you can call a timeout and 
Hopefully that helps you. But if you're out of timeouts, maybe once a game, if your player is pulled off and you could call a medical timeout just to give them a fair chance to get screened and see if he can come back in quickly or not, especially if it's affecting the outcome of a game. And then the other thing I'd say there, Greg, is referees, the head referee always has to talk to a pool reporter. They're not going to get grilled, but they get some basic questions asked of them. A lot of times that's helpful to determine what really happened. Why couldn't you have that for the medical side? A medical representative talks to a pool reporter and says, hey, this is why Fitz was pulled off five minutes later, because we had a technical difficulty in the booth, or this happened, or this happened, and then there wouldn't be as much of a controversy. So those are a couple of my suggestions going forward. What do you think about those, Greg? I think that those are very good suggestions. And I mean, even with MLB umpires and people like that, they typically do have to answer questions as well. So that way you get sort of what happened. And what I would maybe like to see as well is because the NBA sort of does their final two-minute report on all the calls with the referees and everything like that, do that from a medical standpoint as well so that people can improve upon the process as well. Absolutely, absolutely. One other process that we'll talk about here before we get to our special guest and move on to the rest of the show is the reporting, the injury reporting process. Matthew Stafford was the surprise inactive on Saturday morning. He was listed all week with back and hip issues. He was listed as questionable on the game status report on Friday, and he did not play. And there were reports coming from Schefter and then Rappaport's tweet storms Saturday night, or really Sunday night, or Sunday morning, I should say, uh, saying that he might not play and that he wouldn't play. And now there's a, quote, investigation. Here's my take on it. It is absolutely common to, quote, investigate anything that looks funny. And the investigations are not big time, necessarily formal things. Literally, it's a phone call, let's say, to the Lions and saying to the GM and the head coach, what happened here? Why was he not downgraded to out or doubtful? What was your decision-making process? And if it passes mustard, I don't think it goes beyond that. And I don't think it will, based on what Matt Patricia has said, which is, look, we weren't sure he wasn't playing. The doctors left open the possibility of him playing, even though they were, even though they were suggesting that he doesn't play. Ultimately, on Sunday morning, there was still a chance he could play. But in the end, he decided not to. And we don't have to report on Sunday mornings, especially after the first bus leaves for the stadium. And I think those are correct answers. Now, understand that questionable is anywhere from, it's supposed to be 50-50, but the reality is it can be anywhere from 95-5 to 95% playing to 95% not playing. That still qualifies as questionable. So I do not believe the Lions will get fined. And the fundamental difference between this and the Steelers getting fined for Big Ben. The similarities are that they're both star quarterbacks. The fundamental difference is that Matthew Stafford's injury was indeed listed. The only thing in question is whether he should have been downgraded from questionable. And that becomes a more gray area. Whereas, was the light yellow or red when you entered the intersection, right? I mean, it's a little more gray. Whereas the Steelers thing was more about the speed limit. They didn't report Big Ben's elbow issue at all the two weeks he had it. Now, all they had to do was say elbow, full practice, 
or elbow limited practice or elbow no game designation, and they would have been fine. But instead, they didn't say anything, and that's why they got fined $100,000. So I don't believe the Lions will get fined. I don't think there's a big deal going on there, but that's sort of the big distinction there. All right, let's take a break here, and we'll bring back, uh, come back with our special guest, Tom Colasaro, and then uh, move on to part three after that. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Sheff. All right, welcome back to segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Very pleased today to have a special guest on. And uh, quite honestly, uh, I think it was my fault more than, than his. He's been very accommodating. I'm surprised I didn't, haven't gotten him on sooner. A friend of mine and national reporter, you see him everywhere on NFL Network, uh, Tom Pelissero. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, glad we were able to make this work. No, that's great. Heck, uh, I feel like an old guy now. I feel like I've been kind of friends with you since your USA uh, Today days. <laughs> that's right. We met at the Super Bowl probably uh, five years ago or so. So both both <laughs> come a long way, man. You didn't have a podcast. You didn't have a plan. You just knew you wanted to do something. And this is uh, this is cool right here. <laughs> well, I think that's exactly right. I never really had a plan on this. I mean, it started out as a little hobby here. And, and what I vowed to myself, Tom, is that every year, if there's something new and different, then I'm in. If it plateaus out, then that's a sign to just move on from it. And fortunately, uh, it has uh, continued. And now I think with the uh, legalization of gambling, injury information is now at a tremendous premium. Uh, there's no uh, no question about it between that and fantasy football, man. There's a there's an appetite for it as we find out every uh, Sunday morning at 3 a.m. when Rappaport starts tweeting out inactives. <laughs> yeah, I did I one this that. week. I, I auto tweeted one this week just to get in on it, and I got like 10 replies. People being like, "Who's who's telling you that it's at 3 a.m.?" It's like you morons. I had this on Saturday afternoon. I'm just holding it till game day. <laughs> well, you know, I've thought about doing things like auto tweet before, like this podcast and other things, but I- I'm so technically challenged, I don't know how to do it. So <laughs> simple through tweet deck. The bigger ch- the bigger issue is if you set something up and then you forget about it and something changes and then all of a sudden that tweet fires. That's that's <laughs> the nightmare that you try to avoid. <laughs> well, uh, uh, since I don't do any of that, I don't have to worry. So when people do see me tweeting at three in the morning, it's because I have gotten up and couldn't sleep, <laughs> which is not a not a healthy thing uh, at, at all there. But, you know, I, I do think the injury landscape has changed. Right. I mean, uh, the tweet storms from 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 Schefter and quite honestly, your your pal uh, Ian's in on it, too. Uh Saturday night or, or Sunday morning. I guess I call it Saturday night because until I wake up on Sunday, it's still Saturday night. But uh, they uh, they get going. They get after it there, which is which is good. Everybody needs to set their fantasy football lineup. It's a huge, no, uh, huge, no, absolutely. And I'm there, and I'm I'm, I'm part of it. I always have to, you know, whenever I have a. Uh, I get crap from my friends because in my fantasy league, sometimes I'll have some guy who's inactive or whatever, uh, you know, stays in the lineup and like, how are you doing this? You tank in the game. It's like, no, I'm, I'm busy on Sunday morning. Like I'm not, I'm seeing the inactives like everybody else, but like I'm very focused that final 90 minutes to kick off with, you know, whatever <laughs> game I'm at. It's easy to just like lose track of, Oh, that, that guy was ruled out. Okay. I should have, uh, should have been on top of that. So uh, has it ever happened that, you broke the news on some guy being ruled out and he's on your fantasy team and you actually play him? 
I mean, AJ Green, like three days ago, this happened <laughs> when I happened to be in Cincinnati on Wednesday. And this is when Zach Taylor, not knowing the, um, the latest medical information, had gone to his press conference, which I was sitting in, and said, he was asked, do you think A.J. Green's going to play? He said, yeah, I do. You know, talked about the plan they had and how far he had come and running routes and practice, how good he had looked and, and all that stuff. Well, like 10 minutes before that, I had talked to A.J. in the locker room, and he had declined to put a percentage on his – chances for playing. And when I talked to him about it, he was talking about still trying to control the swelling in his ankle and a bunch of things that were just red flags to me talking to him, you know, saying the injury was more serious than anybody, you know, realized or thought at the time, all those things. But then Zach says it and you're like, oh, okay, AJ is just slow playing it. No, he had had a, I don't want to call it a setback because obviously that's kind of a sensitive word here, but clearly some things had happened after he'd gone out and run routes on Monday. He'd come back, done more work on Tuesday. Whatever happened overnight into Wednesday where that thing flared up during the walkthrough, it had him back out there doing a rehab workout instead. And meanwhile, yes, I had been sitting on him in an auction fantasy league the entire season. He was in the lineup. By the time I got on that plane home, he was uh, he was out of the way. <laughs> gotcha gotcha well uh, speaking of aj green you actually helped me uh i don't know break some news or interpret some news i don't know if you realize this that your video tweet of aj green working out or rehabbing before the game how did he look to you i i looked at that and i didn't think he was anywhere close to ready looking at that video yeah, and I, I saw some more after that. He actually, in like a great bit of planning that, of course, I had nothing to do with, AJ Rant was doing a resistance band drill directly behind me during one shot later. Uh, I, I also saw him. I mean, he was running full sprints and things. You know, it's tough because I don't know what he would look like if he were 100% healthy doing that same stuff, if that makes sense. You know, so it, it's tough to tell. The bigger, the bigger you know, thing to me is just when he talks about still having swelling in an ankle that he heard over three months ago um he said and you, you would know this doc but he said you know it would have been better if i broke it because then i know what the timeline is for it to heal with a sprain you know with the ligament issue you, you know this is something that can linger and obviously it, it's still lingering for him over three months after he got hurt yeah i mean i don't report any news but you know it was my assumption that three plus months after the day one training camp injury. I thought his high ankle would be fine, especially after the buy, after the trade deadline. And and I learned my lesson never to do this to an athlete because to impugn that to the team is 0-8 or that it's a contract thing is not fair to the athlete. But when you tweeted out that video, and that one was an easy one to compare because the way he was doing jumping drills, it was off of both feet at the same time, and you can compare the difference one to the other. And uh, to me, Look, uh, I can't tell if the ankle was swollen because who knows what sort of wrap or brace he had on underneath his sock or, or pants there. But uh, certainly he did not have the same range of motion on that left ankle. And certainly he did not have the same spring in his step on that left ankle. And just based off of literally your five seconds of video that you tweeted out, uh, I, I don't think he's ready to go. Or Well, let's put it this way. He's certainly not 100%. Uh, it's A.J. Green. I mean, uh, 85% of A.J. Green is pretty good. But I would not say he's in the 95 or anywhere near 100% threshold. And if that's kind of what we're waiting for, the high 90s, don't be shocked here. It's going to be a, a couple of weeks longer at this rate, uh, looking at just that little snippet of the video. 
Well, and AJ was very upfront too when I talked to him saying, you know, talking about, remember he had the toe injury last year. He missed a bunch of games, then came back in December, lasted like a quarter. As I remind him, like you were out after a quarter. And he, and he said to me, I will, and I will not let it happen again. He wants to make sure he is completely healthy. Uh, he doesn't want to put bad tape out there, even ever, though everybody knows what he can do. The way he put it to me was, I, I'm not going to play just to play. I got to make sure that I'm completely healthy and, and take care of me first. I mean, it's, it's understandable. And it's something that I, I think a lot of NFL players go through that people don't know. I mean, I saw it when uh, my colleague James Palmer earlier today was tweeting about uh, Frank Clark playing with a pinched nerve that it caused a couple of his fingers to, to be numb. And Clark, you know, came clean about it. If he if he didn't say anything, you wouldn't know that that uh, factor was there. And there's a lot of different things that go into that. And guys making those decisions, you know, with AJ Green, he's in. I'm not going to say you know a delicate position because it's still AJ Green. Yes, he's dealt with injuries the past two years, but still a really good player. He's going to do just fine in free agency. But you know, the last thing he wants to do is come back as a shell of himself. You know, he'd never say it, but on an 0-9 team, right? I mean, why why put yourself through that? Uh, he's obviously approaching this from a very level-headed type of a perspective. And when he's dealing with that swelling that, as he said, limits his range of motion, he just doesn't feel comfortable being on the field right now. Yeah, I get it. What if Matthew Stafford cho- chose to play through his back issue, and then uh, as he did last year, right? And, and if he has a subpar effort or two, People are like, oh, he's done and he's washed up. So there's no question that there's two sides, uh, two sides of that story. And sometimes you guys have to save players from themselves. I mean, with Stafford, you know, if you weren't told it is medically unsafe for you to be on the field, he probably says, I want to go through it because he's played through so many injuries in his career. Adam Thielen, when I was at that game in Detroit, you know, I was watching him on the sideline. He's trying to warm up right after, you know, suffering the hamstring injury. And they said, tell him, dude, chill. He was doing it again. They were on that short week to the Thursday night game against the Redskins. Not only was he lobbying during the week, I heard he was lobbying on game day. He'd already been ruled out. He's saying, I'm, I'm back. I can do this. And they're just going, no, like this <laughs> no. is a, it's a long season. He ended up obviously, you know, trying to go against Kansas city. Didn't feel like he could, it, he could feel it pulley. And so, you know, it was very clear by Monday, uh, as I had reported a week ago that he was not going to be, you know, unlikely to play against the Cowboys. And now, you know, the Vikings have the Broncos this week, then they have a bye. Don't rule anything out. I'm sure he's going to be pushing to play again, but you would think, uh, you know, having that extra couple of weeks to settle it down may be a good thing for him. No, no question, especially a guy that needs to burst like that. And, and you're right about saving players from themselves. And look, the other thing is, I've talked about it before, it's very hard to give a player a conditional release. In other words, okay, you can play, but just red zone targets or certain routes or whatever the situation may be. Once medically you give the okay to hit the field, those uh, targeted, uh, we're only going to do 12, 15 plays today, all of a sudden becomes 35 and and you don't have any power to stop it because it's the flow of the game. And and the coach says, you said he was up, so we're going to use him how we see fit. So you're right. Sometimes it is medical's role to give both sides and sometimes uh, step into a deal a little bit. So this week you got a very close-up look at uh, potential MVP candidate Lamar Jackson here. How does he look up close versus otherwise, and who might you compare him to? Is he a Michael Vick? Is he different than a Michael Vick? What, what's the comp for Lamar Jackson, and what's, his, where's, what's your take on him? The comparison that you hear from players 
because I've covered two, three Ravens games this year, the comparison people bring up is Michael Vick. Now, coming out of college, um, you know, obviously they're both very dynamic runners. The thinking was Vick was a little more polished as a passer coming out. And that's where I, I was most impressed watching him live because the Bengals' entire game plan was they were going to go big personnel, extra defensive linemen and linebackers, basically mug up those extra Ravens tight ends and dare him to pass. Just say, you're going to have favorable matchups if you break all these guys out. We dare you to beat us with your arm. And sure enough, you know, first play is a play action deep shot to Marquise Brown, who just outruns uh, double coverage. Jackson puts it on a dime. There were a couple of times where, you know, on two Mark Andrews touchdowns, he sees the favorable matchup against the linebacker. You know, those guys can't run with him. That's the risk you take, saying we're going to take away the run. Lamar hits those throws. He hits the touchdown to Brown where he takes a big hit. The way he threw the ball, and that's all set up by the, the run and the threat of the run, uh, it was still very impressive. I mean, you have to give credit to – Offensive coordinator Greg Roman, as well as quarterbacks coach James Urban, they re-envisioned uh, the type of offense they're going to run. We're seeing elements that we saw with Roman when he was in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick in terms of all those formations with three guys in the backfield, all the different options. You're seeing triple option and speed option, zone read, all these different things that you know a lot of coaches have believed is not sustainable, and the Ravens are showing, at least to this point. Lamar's only started 16 games, but – you know, it sure looks like it can create a lot of havoc because when you take one thing away, the Ravens seem to be showing here that uh, they've got more versatility and they've certainly got a heck of a lot of speed. Yeah, I haven't been lucky enough to see uh, Lamar Jackson up close yet, but to me, you know, obviously very skilled player and, and running and throwing the ball. The only difference, like running Vic, I thought Vic was more of a, straight ahead speed guy not that Lamar is not fast he's very fast but Lamar seems to have more wiggle than even Vic did I don't know maybe that's just my eyes or lack of memory I think their their body type is a little different too Vic was probably a little bit more uh thickly built now he was six foot and what a little over 200 pounds I want to say uh with Michael Vic whereas with Lamar he's taller I think he's six two and probably weighs about the same amount so you know, kind of longer uh, appendages. You know, he, he runs a little bit differently. I don't think there's any question about that. But, yeah, Lamar's Lamar's ability to do things like pull off that spin move that he did yesterday. I mean, those are things that I just – I have not seen in the NFL. And it takes a lot of guts, frankly, to do that in real time. You, you know, because you could also – you could spin and, you know, get plastered from the other side. Uh, the thing that you hear from players all the time, and Mark Ingram told me this last week, he's like – Yes, we look at, you know, we peek at the highlights in the game when he's putting on a show like he did against the Patriots. But Ingram goes, he's always doing crazy stuff in the practice, in walkthroughs, just playing around. Um, You know, when you see him do it on Sundays, that's just him. And Ingram said, you guys haven't seen everything yet. Jackson actually was joking about that in his press conference, too, showing how he had, like, practiced, you know, the the spin move in a walkthrough setting. But guys say that's real. He is really trying out different things. He's just – he's a rare, rare – type of an athlete he's a a rare guy too he's just he's different than most quarterbacks that you talk to I I got to interview him the day after he was drafted by the Ravens you know he does not fit into any kind of mold but that's part of what the Ravens love about him and it's part of what makes them so tough to defend because you know you think about this when the Bengals are preparing for him they use their rookie running back Travion Williams a little bit on the scout team as Jackson but a lot of the snaps were taken by Andy Dalton 
you know, Andy Dalton can't move. He can't do the things that uh, <laughs> Lamar Jackson does. I, I talked to Earl Thomas the other day and I told him, you know, Dalton's been, been playing Lamar in practice. And Earl just shakes his head. He goes, cut it out, bro. Just cut it out. In other words, you can't possibly be be replicating the things Lamar does, but nobody's got an extra Lamar Jackson laying around to be able to put out there in practice. No, I don't think – I mean, heck, uh, if, if John Ross were healthy, maybe he's the scout team guy, right? I don't know. I mean, who knows? That's interesting there. So so what what are some of the biggest other news stories that you're working on or, or trends for the season or so forth? Open mic. Well, I think you. that, you know, the biggest thing right now is we see the, uh, the contenders separate themselves a little bit here is just where are the coaching changes going to be. We obviously had – uh, the one that we all pretty much knew were, was coming even going into the season with Jay Gruden being out in Washington. But, you know, I mean, think about this. This is how week to week it is. You know, last week, the three teams you'd be looking at as the most uh, tenuous situations were probably the Falcons, the Browns, and the Jets in terms of the situation people were wondering about in ter- with hot seat stuff. And all three of those teams won. I mean, they're all, they all got some level of talent. They've all got a quarterback. Uh, this Usually you don't get a ton of in-season coaching changes just because until December, 26 to 28 of the teams still feel like they're in it. Now you've got some really bad teams this year. The Bengals fall into that category. The Dolphins have found a way to win a couple of games, but they're still struggling. The Giants have struggled, the Jets. But you also have a lot of teams that are hanging out in that four and five, five and five, six and four type of range. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are alive. I think that's why this is a – it's a fun time of year is that you still have a lot of competition. Every game still feels big for most of the teams involved. Uh, that makes my job more entertaining. But that'll that'll ramp up. As we get into December, uh, the coaching changes will become more and more real, and then that's going to occupy a, a great deal of my time going into playoff time. Gotcha. Now, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to give names, but when you're talking or you're at press conferences and you're talking to – coaches or GMs or whoever, how good of a feel do you get that a certain coach or GM or person is telling you the truth or full of it and, and heading you the other way? How, and how do you handle that in your reporting? I think that you get to know, as you get to know people better, you get a better sense for even like what information you really can use because a lot of times you have conversations with people that are, you know, most of them are off the record because there's a lot of people in the league, scouts, GMs, coaches, whatever, who, you know, they can't be quoted on stuff. So you're talking to them and you always, you know, you're kind of getting a feel of what can I actually use. But to your point, yeah, there, there's definitely, you you get to know over time who is going to shoot you straight, who's going to slow play you. When someone says this, they're really trying to point you in the right direction without, you know, without telling you. And there's other people who will flat out lie about stuff. That's a short list, honestly. It, it's a pretty short list of people who will just simply say something is false when in fact it's true. But there are definitely people who won't, you know, overtly point you down the right path either. There's a lot of people who don't want to be fished on. You know, if you got something, they'll tell you you're right. If you're fishing, they're not going to tell you anything. Yeah, it's, it's a balance, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it takes time. I mean, I've covered the league for pretty much most of the past 17 years. And every year I'm at the combine in Indianapolis, which, you know, you know, you got thousands of team personnel there between the coaches and the scouts and the doctors uh, and the player, you know, programs, people and everybody else. And you walk through the halls of the convention center and I always go, I don't know anyone. I've been doing this two decades and I still don't know most of these people. You know, it it just takes time. You know, you just got to you got to meet people. And then there are plenty of times because I. 
you know, as you know, I, I try to be very careful reporting stuff and make sure that I've, you know, got the information because I'd rather be, I'd rather be late a hundred times than be wrong once. Uh, so there's plenty of times where I've got something, someone tells me something and I'm sitting there trying to cross confirm it or, you know, make sure that I'm understanding them correctly because I don't want to screw it up. So that's on me as, as much as anybody else. You just, you, know, you always want to strive to be as, as accurate as possible. And it, it can be a, a clouded world out there at times. Well, that'd be, that's probably a pretty good advice there. Maybe my problem though is Tom, I don't have any sources. My sources are just my eyes and my brain and what I see. And so there's no way from the outside without an exam or looking at an MRI that you could be 100% correct all the time. And so even silly things like, let's say James Conner, I think I correctly said in game at the end of the Dolphins game that he had a right AC joint sprain and it was mild. There was no credit to be had for that. It was all just grief from fantasy guys saying, I thought you said he would play. I'm like, like I, I'm not in the room when the Steelers make the decision on what oh, they're that's going a, to do. And that's I a mean, whole other you know side of it when we talk about those early morning inactives. Even the one I set the other day. Like, I was very confident. Everybody, I had talked to a bunch of people about Lamar Jackson. I also had Earl Thomas and Marquise Brown uh, in the tweet saying all three of them are expected to play. I go to bed at 10 o'clock knowing that thing's going off at 3, and I'm waking up at 6, and I'm going, what if, what if Lamar wakes up sick again tomorrow? You know, I knew he, I knew he was fine. It was, a, you know, it's a stomach bug, and he had gotten over it, and he practiced Friday and all that. But, like, you don't know. Sometimes, you know, you know, Ian will tell you about this, too. It's like sometimes things change. Sometimes you report something, and at that moment, it is accurate. And an hour later, it is not accurate anymore. I mean, those, those things truly happen, especially with – Injuries, if guys go and get second opinions, if, you know, you have the initial diagnosis, uh, even sometimes, you know, you might have a, a not the greatest MRI machine in the world and you need a second set of eyes to read the thing. I mean, there's all all kinds of factors. Decisions change. People get overruled. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you have to have to deal with. So you just you do the best you can with the best information you've got, but you make sure that you're trying to trust the right people at all times. I got you. So next time I get grief, I'll just point him to Sounds you. Sounds good. I'll take <laughs> it. I'll take it. I'm, I'm, I'm used to having so, angry tweets of me too. So I, I know what it's like. All good. All good. Well, thank you so much for the time. I know today's a busy day for you. You're always busy there. And thank you for the friendship and coming on. And is there anything else you want to cover, talk about, plug? or? I figure I'll just, we'll, we'll talk later and you can give me all the, uh, the injury info that you can't share publicly. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. I got a funny phone call today. I mean, I get calls not infrequently. A guy calls me and goes, yeah, so yeah. I said, look, I can't be sure. I mean, the video isn't conclusive and, you know, it's, it's so it's only a feeling. And he's like, yeah, but it's better than the lies I, my coach tells me. So. <laughs> Like, okay. That's pretty good. Uh, at least I'm trying to tell the truth. I may not get there, but I'm trying. Yeah. But uh, thanks again, Tom. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back for our weekly injury rundown and part three of the Pro Football Talk podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Doc. All right. Welcome back to segment three of the Pro Football Doc podcast. Tom's a great guy there, Greg. I mean, it's just fun to chat with him. He's just a, a nice guy and uh, very good at what he does, and I always enjoy chatting with him. This week, our injury rundown is shorter than most, and we'll take that, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Never a bad and, thing uh, to not see people injured. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll go through, first of all, let's run through quarterbacks. Uh, Matthew Stafford, we talked about him a little bit in the first segment here, but in terms of a specific injury, mark my words, Greg, everyone hears back fracture and says, why isn't he on injured reserve? A, he will not go on injured reserve. B, barring a new injury or different injury, he will be the Lions quarterback on Thanksgiving Day and probably before. And the reason why that happens is it's a transverse process fracture. If it were a vertebral body fracture, the doctors would not have said, there is a choice whether you could play or not, but we recommend not playing. A transverse process fracture are small bony projections well away from nerves and the spinal cord. And quite honestly, they don't ever really heal. And you don't need to wait for them to heal. So there's no six-week, four-week waiting time. It's based on symptoms. No question that Matthew Stafford is very sore. No question about it. But that doesn't mean that there is excess danger there. And so whenever he's not sore, and given Matt Stafford's well-documented toughness, this he played through similar fractures last season that most people didn't even know about till after the season. And this time it ends his 136 league second best quarterback Ironman streak, second only to Phillip Rivers. In any case, because of his toughness, I think there's probably a 50-50 chance that Matt Stafford will play week 11. And I think there's an excellent chance uh, he's likely to play week 12. And then the Thanksgiving, I think it's a lock that he will play. Moving on to quarterbacks, Matt Ryan had a successful return, very successful, led his team to victory. I don't remember the stats, but when's the last time a visiting team two-touchdown underdog won by two touchdowns or more? That's pretty significant. Maybe the Bills versus the Vikings last year. Ah, that's a good call. Good memory. That might have been. I don't remember the spread there and the whole deal, but you're right. That might have been. That might have been. In any case, um, his right high ankle looked good. Should be really no issues uh, going forward there. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes, Mr. Superhuman. You know, Greg, I found myself doing this too, and I had to correct myself earlier and, and on uh, the CBS podcast and some other things, saying that Pat Mahomes didn't look 100%. He necessary. He wasn't really himself completely. The man had 440-plus yards passing, three touchdowns, and had a quarterback rating of over 100, or triple, well into triple digits. And because the expectations on him are so high, his athletic ability and dynamic nature is so great that we're being critical that he wasn't himself, which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, he made some very athletic plays, but you could see he was favoring that right knee a little bit. The good news is his high ankle thing, I think, is behind him, the left high ankle. But he's only going to get better uh, next week and beyond. There still is going to be risk of redislocation. And, uh, you know, look, his kneecap was out of place completely by two or three inches only three and a half weeks ago. A little bit of favoring it is probably to be expected, and he'll get better and better. Running backs. I think that's it for quarterbacks right now. Oh, Jacoby Brissett. So, so much for the, we're just playing the Dolphins. Let's rest our quarterback, right? I mean, this is the NFL. This is not college football. The best team in the SEC is going to beat the worst team in the SEC. 
99 or 100 times out of 100. In the NFL, it's not that. And sure enough, the Dolphins with the second victory, second straight victory, this time over the Colts, were set sitting. But I get why they sat him. He wasn't 100%. I don't think the Colts were looking past the Dolphins. It was the fact that the Colts have three straight AFC South games next up on the docket. And they wanted Brissett healthier for those divisional games, the next three coming up. And unfortunately, that cost them an L against the Dolphins, although even it was a home game. Next up, running backs, um, Devontae Freeman didn't see any particular injury, said to be a foot sprain. I looked at the video, didn't see a whole lot, which I hope is good news. So more to come on that. Saquon Barkley had x-rays after the game, but no one has really reported of what body part. He was checked on the sidelines for his neck and shoulder and for strength. He had 13 carries for one total yard. I mean, very un-Saquon-like, but the Giants have a bye week. I didn't see any particular injury. I think it's just a bad game and maybe residual of the high ankle, which will be better by the time we see Saquon back playing again uh, for the Week 12 game, the Giants with the Week 11 bye. James Conner, I'll try it again, is going to play this week, <laughs> Thursday, against the Browns. Look, his head coach agreed with me last week that he was going to play, and then he didn't play. His head coach agrees with me again now. So I hope we're both right this time. Uh, he, in theory, was full practice today if they were practicing. So it looks like he's going to be able to play and not need an, an injection in the AC joint sprain there. But James Conner should be back. Am I missing any other running backs there, Greg? I think that you covered them all. I'm taking a look right now. I'm not seeing any others. And then wide receivers, we talked a little bit with Tom on uh, A.J. Green. I don't think he plays week 11 either. I think it's going to be beyond that before A.J. Green comes back. Adam Thielen, we'll have to follow up on the hamstring and see when he's ready. And he's got a chance, but not a guarantee for week 11. What other wide receivers do we have there? I know there's a bunch of them out there. Amari Cooper looked fine in Sunday night football. That issue should be essentially behind him. Anyways, moving on to a couple of key tight ends. George Kittle is doubtful for the Monday night game. We're recording this before Monday night. I still need to see him practice before I, I put make him available for week 11. I'm still worried about that bone bruise, although there has been no confirmation of that. And uh, that just makes sense when your knee bends the way it does or hyperextends the way it does. And so let me throw this in here as well. George Kittle was officially ruled inactive. Yeah, well, no surprise. That's what the plan was here. So now everyone knows when we're uh, recording this right before the Monday night football game. In any case, yeah, and, and that's why last week when I, during last week's game, when it happened, the, the, the 49er game, Thursday night, it was a Halloween, as a matter of fact. And I said, well, that's great that he returned to play, but I'm not sure he's playing the second half, right? I mean, uh, and he did play the second half, but he left in the fourth quarter. The other big tight end injury from yesterday was was Hooper, Austin Hooper. By video, that's an MCL sprain. Don't think it's an ACL. Waiting for MRI confirmation. I think he's likely to miss some time, but I don't think he's going to miss into December. I think he'll return at some point in November, but if he at best for this next week, Austin Hooper with the MCL, I think he's probably going to be out. A few offensive lines across the league are really getting banged up. The uh, Cowboys just got back their tackles, 
and uh, Lael Collins might have aggravated something as well. But Zach Martin and their right guard and the left guard, Connors with their left guard with a knee scope, Zach Martin with a hyperextended elbow, several other offensive lineman injuries. Kansas City had a bad sequence there where they're already missing their left tackle and then their right tackle goes down. Mitchell Schwartz with an MCL spraying leaves the game. They move their backup left tackle to right tackle and he goes down, which with what seems to me to be a patella tendon rupture and his season is done. Uh, they're still missing their doctor at right guard LDT and uh, they've had their shuffle. The chargers continue to have their shuffle right tackle, left tackle, left guard center. The right guard is the only one that is, is the starter from the, from the preseason. And uh, a lot of other teams, the Jets, uh, Ryan Winters dislocated, re-dislocated his left shoulder. So he may be headed for surgery and done for the season. Lots of uh, offensive line injuries and a few key defensive injuries. Danny Trevathan for the Bears appeared to dislocate his left elbow, possible associated fracture too. Teammate Akeem Hicks went on injured reserve earlier this season for a dislocated elbow. Danny Trevathan hasn't been announced yet, but might be headed that way too for the Bears. We'll see. And Frank Clark announced that he's got some numbness in his fingers, as uh, Tom talked about there in his segment. So that's likely a neck issue that he's been dealing with and probably will deal with all season. Marshawn Lattimore, hamstring injury. Very tough to play cornerback if your hamstring is injured. And uh, I think he's going to miss some time. Patrick Peterson was so awaiting finer word. There was some lip reading that said Achilles, but that may be just tendonitis. I don't think it was a rupture or, or that his season is over. So that's kind of a quick rundown of all the injuries. Are we missing anything here, Greg? Any questions or anything? I don't know if you talked about Devontae Adams or not, but I'm seeing a couple people ask about him. And being that it's my Green Bay Packers, I always have to throw that in there. Uh, being the couple people, meaning, uh, some guy in Vegas and his friend. <laughs> hey, I've got parents in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, word is he's going to stay in rehab over the bye and get really healthy and get quote 3 million percent better instead of 2 million percent better, better, 2 million times better, 3 million times better, whatever terminology he utilized. Yeah, I don't think he's 100%, but he looks pretty good. I mean, he's a pretty special receiver, right? And uh, only going to be better as the season goes on, especially after a bye. So not much worry there on him, although he don't think he was 100% this week. I think he can get close to there, at least high 90s by the next time he sees the field. All right, so let's wrap up with our beast of the week here. Several good candidates for it. But the easy one here is the fact that Matthew Stafford last year played through transverse process fractures. This year happened towards the end of the Oakland game, but continued to play that game, and we didn't even know about it and uh, thought about playing this week until the doctors and others talked him out of it. I get that I've been saying it's the, quote, good kind of bad back fracture, and uh, it's not near his nerves or spinal cord. But still, there's a lot of muscles and ligaments that attach to those little transverse processes. And every move, look, getting in and out of your car would be painful, much less playing NFL football. 
he finished the game last week against the Raiders and contemplated playing again this week and has played through numerous injuries across his 136-game streak and uh, where he's second only to Phillip Rivers. So Matthew Stafford has to get the Ironman Award. And, and also bear in mind, in 2009, he played through, after missing three weeks, he returned to play with after his patella dislocation, just like Patrick Mahomes, and then had surgery in the offseason. So our Beast of the Week this week is Matthew Stafford of the Lions. And with that, we'll wrap up our Week 10 going into Week 11 version of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll have more good guests next week. And uh, check out profootballdoc.com and tell me what you think. I think it can help you out with Fantasy DFS. And if you're in a state where gambling is uh, legal, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.